Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Paul Cronin, CEO of Adriatic Metals, uh, listed in Australia and here in the UK. And we talked to him about the recent PFS uh, results. And if you want our thoughts and opinions on that and the company itself, and in fact, the fact we are also doing a company report, which will be out in the next few weeks, uh, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find other company reports, uh, commentary from market experts from around the world on a variety of topics. Um, we've got training videos, we've got summaries of other interviews, and a big community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other. And if you go there now, join the waiting list, you are eligible for a seven-day free trial. Paul, how are you doing, sir? Good, Matt. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. I, I, I see it's dressed down Friday, though. I'm in my, uh, I'm in my uniform, Matthew. <laughs> I'm very proud of it. Thank you. <laughs> and where are you? I'm sitting. Uh, I'm sitting in our office uh, in Tisopsi, just uh, in the hills above Barish, uh, overlooking a desolate plant site that's about to get uh, uh, deconstructed and ready for construction. Fantastic. Well, you're going to tell us all about it. You're going to talk about the pre-feasibility study uh, in a second, but give us that one-minute overview of what it is that you are for people new to this story. Sure. Uh, Adriatic Metals, um, a Balkan-focused uh, precious and base metals explorer, now developer. Um, we have, uh, obviously, our prime asset is the Barish project in Bosnia and Herzegovina, high-grade, uh, silver-dominant, but polymetallic, uh, massive sulphide uh, flotation project. And then we have now uh, the uh, Raska project in southern Serbia, uh, which is lead, zinc, silver, gold um, exploration um, that we have recently acquired uh, and are currently drilling very aggressively. Fantastic. I, I, I like it's uh, I like a polymetallic story because you get the flexibility depending on what the commodities are doing. So it's silver dominant. That's what we're going with, is it? It is very much silver dominant. Silver is the biggest revenue contributor to the project, um, followed by zinc, uh, then gold lead, uh, copper, uh, barite, and antimony. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay. Well, look, you've just released a PFS or what looks like a summary of a PFS. Um, can we get the full PFS um, anywhere? Where, where should I be pointing myself? We, we obviously, Australian and London companies, unlike Canadian companies, aren't required to disclose the full technical report. Um, our technical report is being written in a JORC format because we are compliant with JORC on, in Australia and, and, uh, and the UK. Um, to get the report to be able to be released to the Toronto Stock Exchange, which or CEDAR, which we can do, um, we would have to have it redone in a 43-101 format. Um, I'm just not prepared to do that. As I said in an interview last night, it would be much easier if the Canadian Securities Commissions allowed us to report under JORC as foreign issuers, um, uh, but they don't. Uh, and so, unfortunately, um, all of their rules that are, in, you know, intended to increase disclosure actually work in the opposite direction. Right. Well, to answer the question, we'll be able to access the JORC version in a few weeks, won't we? Uh, we we would, ordinarily wouldn't publish it. Um, what we have done in the release is put... Uh, enough detail in there that um, people can get a pretty good view of, to, of, of the study, um, 
uh, all of the all of the risks, all of the opportunities that were identified during that, uh, and obviously the, the key financial metrics behind it. Um, what we will do uh, over the coming weeks in some of our uh, presentations and corporate communications uh, is provide a little bit more detail. We have had some positive, well, constructive feedback, I would say, uh, from some investors saying that they would like to see a more granular information. Um, so we will be doing that. And we'll also be trying to separate out the metals from the industrial minerals. So effectively, gold, silver, copper, um, lead, zinc from barite. Um, because the barite is such huge tonnage on a unit cost basis, it skews the numbers a little bit. And I think it would be uh, more beneficial to see what the, what the metals cost is whether that's on a per ton basis or, a, or a, an AGEQ basis uh, versus what the barite does. Because the barite, um, you know, it has uh, quite high transportation costs um, because of its quantity. So because you're storing so much of it at port, um, but also uh, in terms of its processing, um, its processing cost per ton is quite high as well. Um, and it's reasonably capital intensive just by, by virtue of the fact of the, the quantity of tonnes that are going through the plant. You know, it's 240,000 tonnes a year of barite production um, versus about 220,000 uh, tonnes a year of, of, uh, of, of silver, silver Z and zinc concentrate production. Okay. I was going to ask you about barite further down the conversation, but, you know, you, you, I think... Let's talk about it now, and I'm going to come back to the granularity of uh, any information you're going, to, you're going to provide. So it's a total market of about 8.6 million tonnes per year. You're going to deliver about a quarter of a million tonnes into market at your peak production. Um, are you concerned at all about the sorts of effect that may have in the market? Because that might put a sort of little bit of oversupply, might affect the pricing. Yeah, yeah. Um- the, the barite market's quite opaque, um, and so we rely on on averages. So we know that the European average price for API grade barite, so that's drilling grade barite, is about two hundred dollars per per ton, uh, and that's delivered. Um, uh, so you know, delivered Bergen, um, delivered Aberdeen, uh, you know, that's the sort of price you're getting. Um, we have used, uh, the headline number was $150 a tonne. Um, uh, but what we also factored in there was $70 in, in transport and handling charges. So transportation about $30, um, up into, uh, up into, by seaborne up into Northern Europe. And then another $40 of, um, uh, from Barish to Ploche and about another 20 uh, and of that, about half of that was purely for port storage of vast quantities. So that in itself creates some opportunities for us to look at how we handle logistics. Can we do more just-in-time shipments to port uh, of our containers? The one thing we've got here in Varish is a large area next to the rail siding, uh, which is available for us to acquire or lease from the municipal government. Um, that may present some opportunities in terms of how we do that. And we'll be talking to some of the shipping companies about working uh, in partnership to basically minimise the amount of containers that we have stored uh, on that at that port at any one time. Um, but just to put it into context, we'll have about 2,000 shipping containers 
in being moved at any one point in time from here. Um, this is a big logistical operation. Um, we're going to bring in some specific expertise to help us uh, with that. Um, uh, and we think that there's some some potential cost savings that we will be able to to capture in the future by being a little bit, well, thinking a little bit outside the box about how we might do that. Okay, so you've, you've made the assumption of 150 there. Um, I think the question was really around, do you think that's a little bit toppy? I, I, I know... For this PFS, you've used you know gold at nineteen hundred. You've used silver at twenty four. I think you've stuck with copper, zinc, and lead at the previous PEA levels. Um, but you are famously known for saying, "I'm only interested in market or forward price." Right. So that's your. So you're not trying to hide anything. I, I get that, but you're quite aggressive with your pricing, and so therefore, when you when you go and chat to banks about financing, when you're going to have to do that, and they're going to just rip your numbers apart, aren't they? Well, how, how can they rip the number apart when it's the market price? But they're going to discount it. I mean, they're going to discount yeah. it because things go wrong. Come yeah, on, you sure. know this. They're going to discount it, and I'm going to go. So what? Uh, this is a this is a high margin project. Fine, make silver twenty, make gold fourteen hundred. Knock yourself out. Do your best. It's not going to change the financeability of the project. Um, uh, it, you know, it'll it'll mean that we have to be quite um, you know quite careful of looking at some of the covenants that. Uh, uh, that that are applied in those project financing documents, but um, it's not going to have a huge impact. And and Matt, I keep saying this time blue in the face, and I think it's probably my background as a as a trader. There's only one price, mate. It's the market. Right? It is what it is. You, you know. Yes, I can sell gold tomorrow at fifteen hundred dollars an ounce if I'm stupid. But what can I sell it for right now? Your spot. Um, that's the price. So, you know, we see a lot of studies that are put together where these very subjective prices are being used. Well, you know, um, we could use this, that or the other, or the price in three years might be this. Um, uh, we see a lot of guys use analyst consensus. Now, analyst consensus is just an average of made up prices. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not real. The real price is the spot price. Use it. Every, I don't know. We should just change the rules and make everybody use the spot price of these studies. Then we wouldn't be having these debates. There you go. I said famously. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there you go. I'm not going to change my position on this. I'm afraid. Okay. Um, okay. But but you, but you know what I mean. We do have sensitivities in the release. Yeah. You no, can, I've, I've, you I, can I get the that. Impact on. No, I get, I get that. But if you if you're sitting in front of a bank, they are going to discount it because they're factoring in not what can I get for it tomorrow. They're, they're factoring in what could the price be, you know, next year. What happens if something goes wrong in the market at site wherever? And you've got to make those allowances and say, can I stomach that potential risk? So you know, discounting is normal practice for financing. So I'm not talking about what could you get tomorrow. So you you you, you go, look. I'm not saying this is not a this is a good project. At what I, you know, at, I, I suspect I know what the discounted price may be. It's still a good project. Stands on its feet. So I'm not arguing that point. I'm just saying that you're going to come up against that that argument for sure. And I am happy to have that argument. Um, uh, banks will apply their own forward curve, so they they'll use their own analyst recommendations. Um, for what they think that price will be. Um, if you're financing a project using uh, off-take, um, for example, um, 
you know, that offtake financing will be based on the forward curve, um, which coincidentally is based on the spot curve. And all of those markets are currently um, uh, contangled. So uh, if we start to see backwardation in those curves, we'll, we'll certainly, you know, consider the impact of that. Um, but at the moment, there is no backwardation. Yeah. Okay. Fine. You'll make that call near the time when you get there. Okay, so let, let's let's talk about some of this. Go back to this detail that the market is asking you for, and you said that you you'll um, maybe put out some more detailed information. So, for instance, I couldn't help but notice that there is um, no separation of copper from the crop concentrate. And you did say after the PEA last yeah. time that you would do that. We did. So we did uh, we did some uh, test work on creating a separate copper concentrate. We created an amazing comp. Um, it was high-grade copper. It was high-grade silver. Uh, that would have given us better payabilities than what we had projected in the scoping study. We then went on to do the sequential test work on that because ultimately we've still got to produce a, a lead-silver con. We've got to produce a zinc concentrate. We found that as a result of producing the copper first, there was actually degradation in the subsequent concentrates. And when you looked at it in aggregate, you were better off sticking to a, a lead uh, silicon uh, and a zinc con. And what we have introduced, which we didn't have in the scoping study, um, is what we're calling a pyrite concentrate, but it's basically a gold silver concentrate. It's only small quantities. Um, and then obviously we've got our, our barite uh, product as well at the back end. Um, where we think we, and I'm happy to, you know, absorb um, constructive criticism on this. And I've seen a bit coming through uh, through a number of calls with um, with various people over the last 48 hours or so, is that we probably should um, sort of separate the project out from metals and industrial minerals so that we separate the barite out. Because the barite, because of its tonnages, it does tend to skew the numbers a little bit. Um, and I think in, in, in some of our... Uh, forward communications will make that clearer uh, to people as to, you know, what is the economics of the metals project? What is the economics of the industrial minerals project? Um, uh, and they, they, it's difficult to separate them because in reality, you know, the metals are contained in the barite. The barite hosts it all. Um, so you've got to mine the barite. It's coming out of that hole whether you like it or not. Um, uh, but the barite margins are minuscule. I mean, it at $50 a tonne, so just, you know, headline revenue price, $150 a tonne, $70 in transportation costs, plus processing costs uh, that are, are higher than the average. Um, uh, it is, it, the margins on it are minuscule and honestly, I wish I didn't have it, but I do. Um, uh, and now my challenge is to sell it because I don't want to have to still store it. Uh, so we're going to be doing quite a lot of work on the barite market. Um, we are going to be having a number of discussions. The pricing we have set there, uh, I guess, is based on a concept of what we call penetration pricing. You know, there are existing supply arrangements between producers of barite and off-takers of barite. Um, if we're going to displace those existing arrangements with that quantity, as you mentioned earlier, it's a reasonable quantity in the context of the entire market. If we're going to displace that, we're going to do it through price. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, th I think there's, there may be a reaction in the market to that and, you know, it's interesting how you deal with it. So whether you do this at cost just to be able to get rid of it because it removes, you know, any future liability, we wait to see your decision making. But can I ask about polymetallic? This is a generic one, right? 
polymetallic companies, you've got to have a forward view on what commodities are doing. Because, as you know, you know, last time we spoke, you weren't focusing on, you weren't talking about silver per se, but silver's doing its thing at the moment. I think there's expectation it will continue. How do you get the formula or the flow sheet for the concentrate, uh, you know, agreed? Because you can't change it sort of midway through. You can say, this is what we're going to be doing going forward. So there's been made a conscious decision there as to what reverse concentrates need to be able to do. You said copper doesn't kind of, copper degrades everything else. So therefore, maybe it's not such a smart thing to do. But originally you thought, well, maybe we will do that. So... it it doesn't degradate everything else if you put if you get the copper to go into your into your lead silver comp. Um, you get a lower payability on the copper. Our market research has suggested the payability will be lower. But if we can get the copper above certain grades, then it helps. So the way we've looked at it, and and I guess the underlying premise here, Matt, is that our head grades are so far right through the mine life at Ripitzer are so far above the economic cutoff grade that it gives us a lot of optionality. So the way we've looked at the mine plan is not really on, you know, we did a lot of test work on variability of metal assemblage, uh, of grade, um, and and what we've done is we've taken that, we've run multiple regression analysis, we've come up with metallurgical curves that say, well, based on the mineralogical domaining of the deposit, um, and we have basically seven different sort of categories of mineralogical domain. We've designed a mine plan that in the early years means we can just mine and send it straight to plant. But in the latter years, we're actually stockpiling and we are blending some of those ores. Now, that's gone into our processing cost. Um, and why, the reason we're doing that is we want to create a fairly consistent concentrate product throughout the entire mine life so that we don't sort of get to year seven and go, gee, the you know our existing supplier or um, smelter in Korea can't take this anymore because this metal grade has dropped below this threshold or the sulfur content's too low or the iron content's gone too high. Um, what we've done is created a product that we know that we can sell in every and every single year in the mine life or every single month of my life. Um, and, and that has had a little bit of impact on cost, as you'd imagine it would do um, in the processing costs. Um, but it, but it does mean that we've, that's a big substantial de-risking of the project. When you look at polymetallics and you're trying to get maximum value for them, for those concentrates, the work that Graham um, uh, and Alma and the team have done uh, mean that we are going to be able to create those very saleable products right through the mine um, We're going to be doing more work on that. Um, it's been a very interesting exercise for us in, in looking at that. Um, uh, what we also did in the mine plan was we mined through inferred resources. So we, we calculated a reserve and we, we mined the reserve. But in getting to the reserve, we mined through inferred resources. Those inferred resources were zero graded. So we said they're going in the plant, but they've got no grade in it. They do have grade in it. Not as much grade as the reserves but they do have grade. And that that also had an impact on the model, but um, in reality is the right thing to do. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I think there's, yeah, we've, we've put together a model which, you know, uh, you can have your view on, on commodity pricing, but, <clears throat> you know, 15, uh, at, at 1,500 gold and, and, and 20 bucks silver, um, 
you know, you lose about $100 million in MPVH. Uh, it's not the end of the world. Um, uh, so, um, you know, we, we think it's really robust. We, for me, it's a, it's a model and a study I can use for project financing, and that's what I wanted to do. That was the fo- sole purpose of doing that. Yeah, that I, can, I, I, I get it. Look, I, the difference between the PEA and the, and the PFS seems to be commodity price, okay? So what in summary would you say, because that's the market working in your, on your behalf there. So the, it was either a really good PEA or you haven't been able to work out or eke out any more uh, value in that process. I mean, what, what would you say? So I've reduced my mining costs <clears throat> by about 22 24%. Um, my processing costs have gone up largely because of the barrack, but also because of in the latter years some of the the, uh, the ore sorting. Um, I substantially reduced my mine throughput from Via Batcha, so we just mined the higher grade uh, material um, uh, and kept the strip ratio reasonably sensible, so it's about four to one. Um, <clears throat> my transportation costs were the ones that were disappointing. That's been the big increase. Um, got up quite substantially, but we've got work to do there to improve them. Um, so metallurgical recoveries are up. Um, so there's some positives and some negatives there. Um, obviously, we've incorporated now the pyrite concentrate. There's a little bit of revenue. That adds about $40 million to the MPV um, <clears throat> through, the, through the sale of that gold and silver. Um, uh, and in terms of payabilities, obviously, our gold payabilities are now you know, from 48% up to 70%. Um, these are all very positives. These are things we can continue to work on over the next six months while we're doing the, the definitive feasibility. Okay, study. swings and roundabouts. It's, but it's, I also it's, think that <clears throat> we've got some, we have got some still a lot more localization of costs to do. Um, uh, we are developing a procurement policy here that's going to encourage and incentivize local suppliers to create the products we need. In Bosnia, these will be lower costs. There's certain things we can't buy in Bosnia, um, but there are certain things we can, such as you know, flotation tanks, thickening tanks, etc. Okay, so it's, it's swings and roundabouts. It's 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 refining costs, shaving costs where you can, and as you say, I think you've probably got a bit of work to do on transportation and a few other places. Um, you had a visitor this week, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We uh, we were very pleased to receive a visit from the Prime Minister of the Federation of Bosnia and Herzegovina and uh, the Minister for Mines, uh, well, Mines, Energy and Industry. Um, it was great. It was, um, it, I think it was a really strong endorsement of what we're doing here. Um, uh, he voiced his support for the, for the company and the project. I think he was impressed with the, the young local team that we've assembled here. You know, a lot of our staff are almost straight out of university that have been trained up by old farts like Graham um, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and Mike, yes, and myself. Thank you, Matt. Um, Sorry, for um, everyone at home, I just pointed at him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like like yes. us, like us, like um, us. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think generally, uh, you know, we, we, we enjoy the support that we've had um, from government in Bosnia, um, but I think with such a strong endorsement, um, you know that that support will continue and and, uh, and hopefully accelerate. Well, you're probably worth a few quid to them, aren't you? You must be relatively important to that country. 
Yeah, I think during the during the major capex years, the we'll, you'll be contributing about ten percent of foreign direct investment into wow. Bosnia. Wow. Um, it will have a, G, a, a quite a substantial GDP impact during the life of the life of the mine. Um, corporations taxes are likely to be around two hundred million US dollars. Um, concession fees uh, close to thirty million dollars, uh, plus all of the employee taxes and social security contributions, which I don't have a number on yet, but probably will be in the region of three to four hundred million dollars. So in the in the scale of the Bosnian economy, that's quite significant. That should help a lot when you're in discussions about getting things done, won't it? Uh, look, I think I think here the project um, has a profile and it's probably viewed by government as being such that you know they want to see it happen. Uh, as soon as possible. Our approach, and, and I think I mentioned to this in our in one of our previous calls, is we engaged um, a group in London uh, called Critical Resource. Uh, Critical Resource are <coughs> ESG uh, consultants to the mining industry, both from, from the banks, but also the mining companies. And with them, we set about a pathway uh, to get a social license, essentially. Uh, and a lot of that was at a local level. A lot of it was about implementing adaptation of policies uh, that would see us develop a groundswell of local support. Um, is, that's it, local support is, happened. Is that COVID thing um, back again? You still haven't got rid of it. Seriously. Just sort it out. Just sort it out, would you? Everyone smokes in Bosnia. And I'm, I'm ashamed to say, you know, when in Rome. Really? Um, really? Yeah, you're too oh, old. Yeah. You're too old for that shenanigans. Stop it immediately. Man, I'm not. I, I, I may look like I'm 47. I'm only 23. <laughs> Stone. Um. Right. <laughs> right. Let's let's get <laughs> moment of seriousness. Thanks. But the reason I'm reason you very much. yeah, it's just pleasure. It, it, it's lock, lock, lockdown poppy fat. Um. That's what I'm going with. Uh, so, but I think it's quite important to to make that point because if I remember back to when you guys started off and, and probably before the Balkans was a kind of no no. It's very you know people like you, I don't even know where that is on a map. Um, there's no real mining going on there. But it may have been, but you know the per- perception has changed. Is what I'm saying. So people looking at you as a different sort of company now, and things like this help. Ministers turning up helps. It does. And but your first comment. Matt, about there not being a lot of mining in the Balkans. When you come into our office and you walk up the stairs up to the corporate floor, we've actually got what we call a living history of, of mining in the region of Varish, right through from the Saxons, through the Ottomans, the Austro-Hungarians and into the Yugoslav era. Um, there is a long established history of mining here. Um, the Varish coat of arms are two miners. Um, there are about 11 operating coal mines within our within our canton. There's one uh, base metals mine operating within our canton. I think people came here initially looking for exploration licenses and realised how difficult it was to get an exploration license because you've got to go and get municipal consent to apply to a, for a concession to the canton. Then the canton gives you that and then you have to go to the Federation to get an expiration license over it before you can do anything. It's a long process. It's a big barrier to entry. But the way we came into it meant that we sort of bypassed that. And because we're here, 
um, we've been able to navigate that very well. The, and, and it serves to the point that the work that we've done here, the amount of money that we've invested, the human development we've done in our team, um, the indirect investment, the sponsorships of local football clubs, rugby clubs, um, buying COVID equipment for the school, the hospital, et cetera, has meant that we've secured now uh, the largest mineral concession in Bosnia. Um, uh, we've got the entire mineral belt around uh, Varish, uh, which we were awarded a few weeks ago. Um, that's going to give us an opportunity. It's an 11-year uh, expiration concession. It's going to give us an opportunity to look for those repeats of Rapitza. Um, so whatever the, the Varish project looks at looks like right now, I, I don't think it'll look like that in, in three or four years' time. Okay. I, I just think that's an important point um, that, w- that we had noted, certainly in terms of our analysis. We're doing a report on you, by the way. Hope you enjoy it. Um, we <laughs> be out soon. Um, we, I wasn't going to ask... Uh, well, so what do you got? You're going to call Fatty Croners, CEO? He's coming. It's front page, mate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to ask about Tathian, but Holly at the office here was particularly taken by the uh, story when we interviewed him, them. Um, how, how is that? Because they're now fully on board, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Fabian Baker, the CEO of Tethian that you're referring to, uh, is also quite popular with some of our young geologists uh, here. They're, they're he? keen to pick his, his brain. He's, he's a very intelligent guy. He's a very Tuesday. clever looking. Yeah. He'll be here on here. He'll be here on Tuesday. I'll tell Holly. Uh, he he actually actually is a very clever guy. Um, he's one of the more competent people I've met in this industry, and he's joined us as corporate development. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so he is going to be helping us with our expansion strategy here in Bosnia and Serbia. Um, we have completed on the Tethian acquisition last week. We are drilling there with two rigs and a third rig coming in this weekend. I think it is planned. Um, uh, we're conducting a 12,000-metre expansion program, so we are now drilling in areas that have not been drilled before. Um, some of them have got some edits in there that we've got a little bit of data, but some of these holes that we're drilling through are totally new areas. Um, there'll be results coming out consistently. Um, just to all of your viewers who are paranoid and think that I'm holding back results, I'm not. Uh, they have been sent to the lab. They received at the lab yesterday. They should be out in two to three weeks. Okay. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, well, I'd, Holly, we'll look forward to hearing that news. Um, you put an announcement. We'll get Fabian to present them. I think you should. I think you should. I think you should. Um, I couldn't help notice an announcement um, around about the EBRD. What, why did you feel the need to make that? Uh, yeah, look, one of our staff was doing an investor um, evening uh, and made uh, an, an unintentional disclosure um, about EBRD. Um, uh, we felt that uh, that required clarification, so we um, we put a put a release out to the the LSE the following day. Um, yes, we are in uh, discussions uh, with EBRD, and I think as, as we said. Uh, in that the release, there is no guarantee that those discussions will will end in an investment. Um, but um, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm EBRD are a you know a very influential organisation uh, in Europe, but particularly in the Balkans, uh, where they are funding a lot of uh, various projects around the Balkans. Um, 
But the one thing about EBRD I think people have got to recognise is the, the international ESIA that we are doing. Um, the scope of that is actually shaped by policies that EBRD and IFC have developed. And they have extremely strict and rigid environmental and social standards, which any investment by them into a company, whether it's debt or equity, requires you to comply with and report against. So, you know, I think companies like us who have a very strong ESG profile, who have been working, you know, very early in the project development to build that social license, to observe the highest environmental standards, to have um, a, a good level of social integration and are supported at a board level by very strong governance and, and policies and procedures, uh, obviously are attractive to organisations like EBRD who are willing to uh, potentially put their money behind and also their reputation behind. Okay. Well, Paul, I think, I think that's enough of a run-through from me. I'm, I'm kind of keen to see this uh, bit more granular detail out of you guys in the next few weeks or however long uh, that's going to take. It, it is a few weeks, isn't it? Before Christmas. Uh, yeah, no, um, uh, Fabian, uh, Fabian's working on that for me right now. So I'll get him to present it. You can get Holly on there as well if you beautiful, like. Beautiful, beautiful. We'll do, we'll do that. Um, but but I, I think in terms of for people like me being able to do analysis, I'm going to need a you know, bit more information because I can only go on what's public, right? I, I, that, that's how we work these numbers out. Uh, I say it's a good project. I just want to know how good. So you know, when that comes out, it'd be, be uh, great to get a hold of that. Um, nice run through. Things seem to be going well. You're on site. Um, no problems apart from the cough. Yep. All good? No, no. I've been here for five weeks. Um, things are going very well. Um, I am heading home next week uh, and, uh, and I'll be back again uh, in November. But things are going really well. I'm really, really pleased with the team and the work that they've done here and what they continue to do. It's, um, uh, it's going extremely well. Brilliant. Okay, Paul, thanks for the update. We'll speak to you soon, okay? Thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.